Welcome back to the Run Free Podcast. Here with special guest. I'm not going to call you by your nickname. No one must know <laughs> what your nickname is. But I'm here with my little brother. I never call him this. His name is Chad. And that really sounds weird. weird to hear you say that. But I don't know. Some things we just got to keep within, you know, the blood family, the bloodline. You're not gonna, you're not gonna let them in on the nickname. No. I mean, I guess there's not a great explanation for the nickname. No. And I feel like, on Instagram at least, no matter what I talk about, someone gets mad at me. And so I feel like if I Sounds just even good. say this nickname, someone is, I don't know, this is a run-free family, though. Our listeners, these are all friends. These are family. So I should feel free to say it, but I'm just a little bit Instagram, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, scarred. Uh-huh. So I'm just, I just don't feel quite ready to get that vulnerable yet. Do you think considering your family makeup of your own family, that people might think that I'm your adopted African-American <laughs> brother. <laughs> You're giving away too much information. <laughs> okay. Well, I guarantee you this. At some point during this interview, your nickname will slide out. Oh, yeah. It's impossible for, sure. for me to call you Chad for an hour straight. And who knows? This podcast could go three or four hours. So lock <laughs> yourself in, guys. Grab a big cup of coffee because we got a special one on tap for you today. My little bro, Chad is on the podcast welcome to run free podcast chad thanks it's good to be on finally made it you did it you i did. mean finally got captured i was maybe running away for a little while chad likes to be behind the scenes i do i like to be behind the camera or yeah we'll get into that i want to hear more about that so i guess to start things off i thought i'd tell our extended run free family who is chad so when I think of Chad, what words come into my mind? Oh, gosh. Chad is so scared right now, guys. <laughs> <laughs> He's really nervous. He's just teeing it up. But no, I'm going to be serious right now. If I played music on this podcast, this is when the, like, the serene, like, loving music would come on. <laughs> whatever that might be. <laughs> okay, we can put that in in post. Yeah, so, yeah. Well, post-production. Yeah. We have a no-editing policy. On <laughs> okay. <podcast>. Yeah. <laughs> By the way. <laughs> so don't say anything okay. you don't want to share no with editing. your run-free family. Okay. Sounds All right. good. So anyways, the words that come to mind, compassionate. Didn't see that coming, did I you? I didn't see that coming. Fun-loving. I mean, that's accurate. Yeah, of course. These are all <laughs> accurate. <laughs> did not make any of these up. <laughs> all right. Chill. Come on. Very I mean, chill. That's, that's natural. You can hear it in the voice, right? Yeah. Very chill. By the way, we were thinking about messing with you guys because... Chad and I, we get confused a lot in terms of our voices. So oftentimes people say that I'm Chad, and I'm sure it goes both ways. I think Lily thought that you were home early the other day because she heard me downstairs. <laughs> She's like, is Dad here? <laughs> no. Kind of. Uncle Dad. <laughs> Uncle Dad. <laughs> Uncle Dad's. I'm a solid fill-in. <laughs> and we used to look the same, too. We did. I feel like I now look like circa... What, like 2014, Ryan, with yeah. the man bun? Yeah. Not quite as skinny. Like you were looking maybe drug addict skinny with yes. the slick back That's man actually bun. the perfect way to describe it. I've never described it that way. I have a video of that. I'll post that on Instagram okay. sometime. Yeah. If you ever want to see to what go. drug addict skinny looks like. <laughs> We should have a you should have an Instagram thing like professional runner or drug addict. <laughs> Vote. Which one is this? <laughs> Anyways, we're getting totally off subject, but it would be good to delve back and yeah, talk yeah. about body weight issues because, okay. you know, us Halls, we're... We're extremes. Yeah. yeah, and I'm not leaving... Sarah's married into the Hall clan, so I'm not talking about Sarah there, but the immediate Hall family, we, uh, we're we into extremes, as yeah. you said. Yeah. Anyways, man, this we're, we're getting off topic. So other things, other words to describe Chad, loves to suffer. Chad, you guys might not know this. This is one of Chad's lesser-known accomplishments. Oh, gosh. I know exactly the story <laughs> you're telling. He knows exactly what I'm This is also, like, Sarah's favorite story about me. Chad, one time he was hurt running, and he was living in training with us at the time. I don't know the year. 2012? Because it's before the Olympics. It was in London. Yeah, it was in your guys' other place in Flagstaff. Mm-hmm. And so we have a slide board, if you Did. guys remember. used to have a slide board. I Still, think. currently. Oh, you do? It's in the garage. Oh, if you want to get on it later. 
Chad's eyes just lit up. He's getting excited. So you guys know what a slide board is. The things you put the little socks on your feet and you slide back and yeah. forth like a speed skater. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so Chad did that for 17 hours straight. No. <laughs> yeah, it grows every time. Okay, so what's the true so story? How the, long was it? The true story, it was a long time. It was two hours. And I vaguely remember not having... I wasn't watching anything. I don't believe I was listening to anything either. I think I had like bursitis around my Achilles and I couldn't do anything. So I couldn't ride, I couldn't run. And I was just like wanting to stay fit. I think that's also, again, it kind of comes back to body weight issues where I feel like we get fanatical about like burning calories. So uh -huh. it's like, I'm still eating a lot. I need to burn a bunch of calories. So then I just went nuts on it. Actually, it wasn't that bad. I mean, uh, I think you should personally challenge Apollo Ono on a slide, a slide board, board competition who can go the longest under those circumstances what do you think i think that i would do well because you can't actually measure speed or power on those <laughs> <laughs> so it really needs to be a game of monotony uh -huh. like how long are you okay. willing to yeah. just sit here all right paulo you listen to this podcast it's on it's on you and chad yeah going so anyways that's the story but behind the loves to suffer mm -hmm. Next one I have is adventurous. Chad lives in a van currently. Kind of. Yeah, I mean, it's like... He, he's touring all over the country doing all kinds of crazy races and stuff, so... Yeah, it's in the process of being built, so it's very shanty right now. But, yeah, yeah, it's definitely... And you're selling it for how much once it's complete? Uh, 200K. 200K. All right, listeners, you want a sweet van... <laughs> <laughs> For 200000 I'll give you a deal. You can buy it now, which it just has <laughs> only a bed built in it and, like, a foldable table and I think a chair from when we were maybe, like, kids. Uh -huh. so it's a and also blankets from when we were kids. I blankets. That. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just a, yeah, it's a congregation of random things from garages uh -huh. around the country. It's kind of a hall museum. It is. Yeah, yeah, exactly. If you want a hall museum, you can purchase it now for I how mean, much? What's the asking price? Well, now that we're talking about it, I think the value is actually going up because yeah, you're right. getting all these keepsakes. Right. Uh, we'll throw some other stuff in there. What else? We have my garage. We'll load it up. <laughs> we'll fill it with <laughs> Ryan's garage. <laughs> stuff which i feel like that would benefit you quite a bit actually just yeah. empty the garage out yeah, i wouldn't have to light my garage on fire like i was planning on so i'll give you like a five percent cut on whatever we get okay so asking price mm, 150 150 there you go 150 dollars guys <laughs> <laughs> taking a huge loss <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> all right <laughs> we're, we're not, not even, getting through this at we're all not even getting through yeah. the words to describe you uh, on a journey was the next. I'm kind of cheating here, as you can see. These are not single words, but yeah, yeah, you're definitely a, on a journey. It's it's a phrase or idea, uh -huh. which I think goes along with the adventurous, right? Journeyman, journeyman That's on the adventure. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Journeyman. <laughs> <laughs> All right, embracing life. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think yeah. We'll not go too deep, but I feel like that could be a long-winded explanation of that one too yeah it's true though contemplative mm -hmm. likes to think yeah for sure yeah okay uh likes to laugh and smile uh, yeah we've said this i think the halls are a good audience we like to have a good time uh -huh. if you're even semi-funny we'll probably laugh at everything uh -huh. you say yeah drives sarah semi-crazy because she does not she's not an a good, she's she's a tough audience. She's more critical. I have to work hard to make her laugh, and so I do. But then when you guys come around, it's just like good old times. Yeah, you know, just laugh at everything. You don't even have to be good at it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Lily's off to school. Where are you off to? There, Lily. Kate. Off to Kate. See ya. Have a good day. She's going to virtual school at her friend's house. Riding her bike over there. Got her lunch packed. These kids are self-sufficient. I, I mean, can't do anything. I like to see it. I love to see you jump on the bike and go where you want to go. Yep. 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 All right. So anyways, uh, an athletic and loyal. Athlet. I mean, yes. Yeah. Those, yeah, yeah. Those are so anyways, that's, that's some of who Chad is in my opinion. Now, I'm curious to actually, I'm really looking forward to this podcast kind of selfishly because... 
I'd love to hear where you're at on this stuff. <laughs> and specifically, what was it like for you to grow up as Chad in the Hall family? Hmm, interesting. I mean, because I was the youngest, for one. Um, which Still the youngest. Still the youngest, <laughs> yeah. There's up. no, mom and dad didn't have another kid <laughs> when they were like 60 years old. Um, so I feel like that's its own dynamic. Uh, like, I think this, thought that always comes to mind is like us around the dinner table and everyone's talking. I feel like it's what everyone likes to say that I would, if I wanted to say something, I'd whisper it into mom's ear and then mom <laughs> would say it out to the table, which wasn't so much that I didn't want to talk. I think it was just like, it was so loud and there's so much stuff going on. Like you said, we like to laugh and whatnot. So there's like a lot of laughing and noise. And I just mm -hmm. like, didn't have the voice to like, hey guys, I want to say something. Mm -hmm. um, which I didn't mind. Like, I think that I, being the youngest, really enjoyed having, like, a full house, lots of activity, lots of things happening. And, like, we're all so close that even maybe we had more conflict when we were younger. Like, there was a lot of, like, Mom, Ryan's being a jerk. <laughs> <laughs> that was the most common one, yeah. That was the most common one. Yeah. But for the most part, despite those points, like, we still got along really well. So, actually, for me, I feel like, Growing up, I was really used to, like, the crazy household, like, tons of fun things happening all the time. Um, so when I, when everyone started leaving and then it was just me in the house, it was actually, like, super sad because I'm like, this is weird. Like, yeah. I feel like I'm an only child yeah. and I don't like this at all. So yeah. I think I was even, like, talking to mom and dad, like, you guys thought about, like, maybe adopting somebody? <laughs> I mean, I feel like the kids in dad's classes there was always somebody that could maybe like use a house or something to, to yeah. be in well they do dad was always bringing home kids from his class like you're saying yeah but for you guys you don't know so chad's the youngest there's five kids i'm in the middle mm -hmm. so and, Ch and we're all spread out by two and a half years so yeah chad had our other younger brother craig home for a bit in high school but and Craig skipped a grade, so yeah, then even true. though we were almost exactly three years, he graduated right when I was going into high school. Oh, that's right. So you did all high school by yeah. yourself. Yeah. It's sort of funny that Craig yeah. jumped forward. It makes sense. Craig's a very intelligent person. <laughs> yeah, Craig. So, yes, Craig, he got the smart genes. He's also athletic, though. That kid has a big old engine. Craig can just, like without training i mean i feel like now that you've done this maybe we just have this capacity to yeah. just go do crazy runs off of like nothing yep yep yeah the endurance gene is definitely there in our family even our oldest brother steve who's been into weightlifting since high school he's 40 is he 42 now yeah. 10 years yeah yeah 42 um even him as a weightlifter still like he can go charge up mountains and do mountain bike rides yeah. and and as soon as steve stops lifting even a little bit all of yeah. a sudden he's like yep. shrinks down and you'll start to see that like endurance athlete uh -huh. build coming back yeah we shrink quickly <laughs> but the funny thing about craig is craig would like either jump out like on a bike ride with me or a run and then he'd be disappointed if i dropped him I'm like dude <laughs> i'm training all the time <laughs> Like, if I didn't drop you, something would be massively wrong yeah. here. But it, I remember it'd be hard to drop Craig. Yeah. So, like, we would, in Big Bear, where we grew up in Southern California, there's this other mountain, San Gregorio, that we used to venture up to the top of. How high is Mount San, San G? Is it 12,000? Yeah, it's the highest peak in SoCal, and I think it's just shy of 12. I think it's, like, 11-something, yeah. like 11 seven or something. So we would, like, run to the top of it all the time, run back down. But I remember coming back after my first summer as a pro runner and doing it with you and, and Craig. I think you were there, right? Yeah, because I remember – so the first time, I think I was in middle school when we did it. Uh -huh. Second time, I don't know. So then I was in high school at some point when, you, when we did that. And I remember starting out with you. I feel like we did the same thing where we like did it minimalist, dropped all our water, yeah, and we're yeah. just like cruising. Yeah. But then I think we both suffered on that yeah. day. Well, I, and I remember Craig like had a backpack on. Yeah. And he was like right on us, and we had to like work super hard to drop him. Yeah. yeah. I think we went super hard to drop him, and I think we paid the price later because yeah. then I remember both of us hitting tree line and having to walk, yeah. which was. Uh, a little demoralizing. You don't walk in the hall. <laughs> yeah. I violated that one big time in the ultra. <laughs> <laughs> Many times. Which Sarah thoroughly thrashed me for. She's like, this is not even running. 
Oh yeah. Like, how do you even? No, you like, did not run an ultra. You're like, no, that's what ultra running is. <laughs> is like borderline a fast yeah, hike. Yeah. You're doing it proper. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I was doing it the right way. She doesn't see it. You're that doing way. it how the people do it. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyways, we we all naturally have big engines yeah. at the Hall House, Definitely. and we like to eat. Yeah. Big Do you remember remember our our dinners at our at the house? I, I yeah. felt like it was like this. The food goes down, and like you get your food quickly, you eat your food oh, quickly, yeah. so you can get second it was definitely, before it's gone. It's definitely a competition yeah. for sure. Yeah, yeah, every night. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we're yeah. highly competitive at our house. Yeah, no. Whether sure. we're charging up mountains, we're like trying to drop our brother rather than like enjoying just being with our brother. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Was, <laughs> <laughs> That's natural. Right? That's yeah. what everyone yeah. does, right? So. Well, that's interesting. I love I love looking back and seeing things through the eyes that we have now. Yeah. So I should have probably started with this, but to kind of intro <laughs> chat, <laughs> chat a little bit, 15 minutes into the podcast, Chad and I were talking about before the podcast, like why it's so cool for him to get to come on and share with you guys. And I feel like he has a very unique perspective, not just looking back at his childhood days, but Chad was the footlocker cross-country champion mm-hmm. in high school, in his senior year in high school. So the fastest cross-country runner in the country. 2006. 2006. Yeah. Man, that was an epic race, which we'll talk about later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was one of my favorite races of all time. Um, and then went to the University of Oregon. So big-time running school. Was roommates with Matt Sinchewitz. Mm-hmm. Freshman year. Homies. Sort of an interesting viewpoint into Match Centrowitz, which I feel like people view him as like very serious, which he, he is. Maybe he's more serious now, but he's also an incredibly goofy guy. Uh-huh. Like, do you know the Soldier Boy dance, that song? Uh-huh. I remember him just like almost on a daily basis doing the Soldier Boy dance, like in front of our window <laughs> <laughs> to try to get people's attention from down below. <laughs> So you guys were the Soldier Boys room. Well, no, I was just observing. <laughs> Obviously, I'm not doing the Soldier Boy dance. If you guys don't know who Matt is, he's Olympic champion, 1500 meters. Yeah. Um, for the United States in this last Olympics. Um, but anyways, went yeah. to Oregon, transferred to UC Riverside. Irv Ray, who's mm-hmm. a big influence in in my running as well. Mm-hmm. And then made a go at running professionally. We trained together briefly for the 2012 Olympics. Chad was kind of my training partner, which was awesome. Mm-hmm. Also doubled in my commercial, the AT&T commercial. Yeah, most people don't know that. Yeah. Chad was in more of that commercial than I was. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> for sure. That's where I learned that I have um, better like hand action than you do when we're doing like the stuff with the phone. Yeah. You did it, I did it, and they're like, no, we like his hands better. Yeah, Chad has more beautiful hands than yeah. me, apparently. S- smooth action on that scroll. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, we got to keep this rolling. (laughs) (laughs) And then, so anyways, and then Chad's just been on a very unique journey since those running days of going into triathlon briefly, Mm -hmm. getting super into cycling, becoming like stud-level cyclist, both mountain bike and road cyclist, uh, riding professionally. What, category two, is that correct? So, yeah, cycling's weird where... Being a professional really means that you're just like on a professional team. So essentially that does require that team to pay like a certain fee to the USA Cycling. Um, So my team is a domestic elite team, which is right below pro, but we essentially compete all the same events. So Team California. um, Yeah, so do that. And then honestly, mountain biking is also funny because you can be not that good and be a professional mountain biker. Like I think that... It's funny, within USA Cycling, it's really hard to go through these upgrades, right? So, like, came to cycling from triathlon, like, professional triathlete for a brief stint, really good runner. Like, obviously, I have a huge engine, but you still have to go through that whole upgrade process. There's no fast tracking it. You don't contact USA Cycling. You're like, hey, I was a pro at this. Can I just be a pro cyclist? Like, they're like, no. You start with everybody else at Cat 5. Hmm which is also sketchy because then you have to do a bunch of racing with people who are like all levels mm-hmm. and guys like me out there. Oh yeah, for sure. Like imagine us two, if you were like a, a skilled cyclist and we're coming into a corner and you're just like, 
I don't care. I'm going to dive this corner, and now I'm just getting, like, ran over by this bigger dude. Mm-hmm. Which that stuff happens, for sure. Like, cycling is is crazy. Like, there's Cat 5 dudes who are maybe, like, 50 years old who are just willing to risk it all for, like, a win on, like, a weekend criterium. Right, so I'm signing up for Cat 5. Yeah, dude. You can still... <laughs> <laughs> Forever Cat 5. <laughs> like, don't upgrade me. Um, but anyway, so you have to go through that whole process of Cat 5 all the way up to Cat 1. So did that whole process, and then... Um, I think that took me like two years, um, and now yeah. So I, I end up racing like on a semi-professional level mm-hmm. or whatever domestically. So what would you say in, in the cycling space, mountain biking and road cycling? Like, what would you say is your biggest the the achievement you're most proud of? I'm hmm. Curious to hear what you say about this. Yeah, that's kind of hard um, because I do feel like I've had maybe my best performances weren't at the biggest races. Um, and cycling is weird too because like a lot of the actual racing is not really that hard of courses where say like I do like the Tour de Big Bear and like Phil Guyman who's like an ex-US world tour guy um, people would know him if they know cycling like he comes every year and then we just ride like 125 miles together you know kind of going hard the entire day on like 10,000 feet of vert or more it might be even like 11,000 feet of vert and like those days are exceptionally hard, but that's kind of like right up my alley. Whereas like the actual races a lot of times aren't that hilly. It's a little bit more controlled. So it's really about like producing good power numbers in the last like like a 20 minute climb or something, mm-hmm. something a little bit shorter. Um, so I'd say a lot of my best days maybe weren't on the highest level of racing. Um, but maybe I would say, I'd say a couple things like, the pro national championships last year um i was just shy of top 10 in the time trial so i was 12th place i was like three seconds out of out of uh, the top 10 and in that race like time trials on the road bike are really about spending a lot of time there even stuff like having electronic shifting versus mechanical shifting because you can change your position so i hadn't really done all that so i thought considering it i didn't realize that i was really in shape to get top 10 and it's like blistering hot day, like really adverse conditions. And like you said, I think I'm decent at suffering. So like bad conditions kind of behoove mm. me. Um, so actually I didn't even got to the point where I had like a proper mount for my computer. So I remember coming off, there's this climb and then like a hill with like a turn at the bottom. And I just had my computer like taped on my bar extensions. <laughs> and so I Duct came, tape, yes. Uh, electrical tape. <laughs> I mean, maybe that's your problem. Duct tape might have done the trick, yeah. but I was thinking electrical tape. I could like form it; it might be more aerodynamic. Yeah, I got you. I got you. But anyway, so I come off this hill. I think it was like maybe my last lap, and it just kind of like shook my bike, and my computer just flipped upside down. And you know, bike computers are probably like three hundred bucks or something. I was like, oh crap! I'm not <laughs> going to lose that. So it's like peel it off and stick it down my jersey. But I mean, three seconds, it's like I probably lost right. three seconds messing around with right. that computer during that lap. Right. Um, so anyways, like all things considered, it's a bummer that this year went the way it did because I was wanting to spend more time on a TT bike and maybe pinpointing that as a, is something I would do. Because mm-hmm. TTs are fun because it really is just about like suffering and putting out a hard effort. Like it's not so much the tactics and strategy. Mm-hmm. So uh, in a lot of ways, like more similar to running, where it really yeah. just comes down to fitness yeah. Yeah. and pacing. Um, but that, and then um, this is a story that people love. But Leadville uh, last—that was last year, yeah. So Leadville um, mountain bike race, hundred miles in in Leadville, Colorado. Super high elevation, very difficult race. Like ten thousand feet, right? Yeah, so I think you're starting at ten thousand, so you probably hit like twelve five. I think is the highest of Columbine. But so Casey was out there with me, our sister, and I was camping. Like all my stuff is like on the verge of dying on my on my phone. So I'm not maybe doing the best job making sure all my details are completely locked in. And so I just had this assumption in my head. It was like Leadville starts at seven o'clock. And I think it's like I'd done tour to Big Bear the, the weekend before and it started at seven o'clock. Just seems ridiculous to me to start anything earlier than seven, <laughs> especially when you're ten thousand feet and it's freezing cold. Yeah, right. But Leadville does not start at seven; it starts <laughs> at six thirty. And it's funny because I went back and looked. I was like, 
they changed the time this year. Like, it was 7 last year. It's like, no, it's been 6.30 forever. It's never been 7. And you did well the year before. Yeah, so I was 8th place the year before. Yeah. So you're trying to podium? Yeah, so I mean... the goal heading into this, that last year? Yeah, so there's... There's more and more like World Tour pros going into these sort of adventure, like mass start races, which I think is cool. It's kind of similar to like marathons to me, where you have the elite field, but then you have the masses behind you, right? You have like thousands of people also doing it. So it's a cool way to connect with the general like riding population where you're experiencing the same thing on the same day, which I think is is cool because cycling is not typically like that. but yeah, so placed eighth the year before. This year there was um, this World Tour pro who was doing it, Lachlan Morin, who's just like an endurance stud, like really cool guy too. Um, him and just several other pros that I thought like, it would be awesome to just throw my hat in with those guys. And I thought this is like the best opportunity for me to do that. And so like super fired up, fitness was really good. And uh, as I'm getting ready, I have all these clothes on, super cold. I'm about to go warm up a little bit and then come back, ditch all my clothes. So I'm like just getting all ready to go warm up for a little while. And then I hear the gun go off. It's like, bang. <laughs> and I remember looking at Casey and I was like, you're trying to rationalize that. You're like, do they do test shots? Are they just testing the gun right now? So like, certainly you must have had that feeling that we all get when, like, say, like, you just realize you left your phone at the theater. And oh, yeah, you just, you just get, like, hot, yeah, right? Yeah. Hot flash in your head, and you're just like... <gasps> yeah, just like adrenaline yeah, probably just flooded yeah, yeah. through the system. And I was just waiting. I was like, it, it can't be, like, uh, they can't be starting. And then, sure enough, I see, like, the lead vehicles, because you take off down this, like, just paved road. And so I see these, like, cop cars come, and I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> and then I just see the whole group, and, like, so Leadville, the problem is with starting in the back is that there's, like, 2,000 people, and it's very much, you're on, like, a fire road climb the first bit, but it's only so wide, and there's loose parts of it. So it's notorious for, like, if you're in the back, you're probably going to end up walking your bike because somebody slips. Oh, it just man. is ridiculously slow. It's just like a huge traffic jam. And like the year before, I started in the third corral back and had to work my way through. And I'm finally, I'd gone to Tahoe to do a qualifying race to get to the gold corral, like oh, the man. front corral, and be able to be competitive. And it's like finally there. <laughs> and now I'm like in a worse position. Now I have to pass everybody in the entire race. <laughs> So I didn't even check my tire pressure. I just took off all my stuff and just went around. So you have to go through the timing thing, right? So rolled up through town, took off through the timing mat, and just, like, only the stragglers were left. Like, there is even a gap to, like, the main pack now. And um, so I remember taking off. I mean, at this point, I'm still just in shock that I'm like, I can't believe I just did that. (laughs) And so I'm stuck behind everybody, and then we're going up a climb, and it's going so slow. So I'm just like going through all this rough bits. I'm like going through the trees and what to not to try to get around. And uh, I feel like people in that race, they like to like heckle people in the back. So <laughs> what? they're like, they're like, well, they're like always trying to, I feel like there's this level of cyclist where it's like, you've done it for a little while, you know, a little bit about what you're doing. So now you feel like you want to tell everybody what to do. Yeah. So they're like spin it to win it. Like, don't like over gear it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, nice. So they, I, didn't, I have no idea what that means, but yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's it's a phrase where it's like you spin a high cadence okay. instead yeah. of grinding a low gear. But anyway, so these guys, I remember these guys, I was like ripping around through this loose stuff, just like kind of wasting energy everywhere. Like if you were supposed to be back there, I was doing dumb stuff, but obviously I wasn't supposed to be there. Yeah, right. Um, so these guys were like, look at this guy <laughs> <laughs> wasting all this energy. Like, don't worry, we'll see him later. And I was like... Dude, you guys don't even know. You'll never see me again. <laughs> um, oh, man. So you're not only you're in the back, but you're getting heckled by everyone that you're going past. I was going through, like, periods of, yeah, being really angry. And then, like, I honestly, it's, like, kind of embarrassing, but I almost, like, broke down into tears, like, because I was just, like, I can't believe this. So it took me forever. Like, so Columbine, or Leadville out and back course, you go to the top of this Columbine climb, flip run, come down. So I think the year before, I kind of got into the top 10 by, like, the base of Columbine, maybe. Even, like, coming off, like, the first significant climb. I think I was pretty well up there. 
Um, but this year I still had like droves of people in front of me. So I was like intermediately like uh, coming around people and then just having like a group of like 20 guys drafting off me. And then we'd hit a climb and then I'd leave them and then get to the next group. So I rode super hard all the way out to the climb, um, went up Columbine. And by the time I got to the Columbine, I caught this guy, Payson McKelvin, who's like a really good cyclist. He was having an off day, but that essentially, I think, put me around about like 12th or so when I got to the top. Um, what mile mark is that? So that's heading to 50. So at the base, you're probably like 40. But I think on I think when I look back on Strava, I had the fastest time on Columbine that day, which is like an hour climb. So, uh-huh. so uh, also kind of disappointing. You're like, so I had the engine to yeah. keep up with those guys, especially yeah. if I, you know, had been pace lining with right. them and hadn't been just riding right. solo for right. like forty miles leading it's up there. Spending all this extra energy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, anyways, I like, came back down. That by that point, once you get in the top ten, it's just like massive gaps in between people because now you're you're actually in like the elite field now um so i think i didn't get to the top 10 until going up this power line climb that's super steep we're like maybe 20 miles to go and this guy jeremiah bishop i don't he was funny he's he's a really good pro pro guy and i don't know if he was kind of having an off day but we're going up power line and i pass him and that i knew that put me in the top 10 and he's like having a conversation with me he's like so where are you from and i'm like dude are we not racing right now what is happening <laughs> oh he's pulling some some oh, yeah. mind games with you. I, I heard that later um a friend of mine is coached by him and he's like oh yeah he loves to play mind games with people <laughs> I was like well it didn't work on me because i was on a mission <laughs> i was just punishing myself for the entire day essentially yeah i was like you're gonna pay the price for missing that start well that's impressive you're able to mentally work through the frustration of missing that yeah which is it's one of the things that i love about cycling compared to running is i think there's such there's an interesting combination of things that it takes to be successful like obviously you need the engine and the fitness you also need like the right terrain and you kind of need some luck and like things so often don't go your way. Like you have mechanicals, you have flat tires, like you, you have to be mentally prepared for some adversity. Mm -hmm. Right. So I think you get used to that. So when it happens, you're not really caught off guard. Mm -hmm. You like, you're just always ready to be mentally checked into what you're doing. And you kind of have like a, I'm just not going to give up attitude. Mm -hmm. And I think even on that day, I was like, obviously, like, I'm not going to win from back here. This is impossible. But I want to continue to develop Mm -hmm. that mindset of, like, nothing is going to stop me. I'm always going to, like, put out the effort on the day. And I think as an endurance athlete, like, you do just like to have those days where you're like, you like to empty the tank, right? And, like, I came all the way here. I'm still going to empty the tank today. You know, I'm not going to let that go by. I like that as a mantra, just empty the tank. Yeah, I mean, I think that in the end of the day, controlling your effort is like the one thing that we always have the capacity mm-hmm. to do. Yeah, and so I, I like focusing on that, like because I know that I can always do that, right? No matter what's happening, I can always put out the effort level that I know I'm capable of doing. And maybe sometimes that's good, and it is good compared to other people. And sometimes it's not, but like you still, you know, you put out that that effort level, and that's all that really matters. At least on that day obviously you walk away like so i just did a race in colorado kind of got my butt kicked a little bit um i put out a good effort level i still like it was it was really mentally challenging to like it's hard to have a bad day it's another thing to have that during a stage race where you have to come back the next day and the next day and the next day um but nonetheless so like i did what i could during that race put out the effort level i can but then it's good to also evaluate like okay now what can I take from that and alter my preparations for the future, right? Mm-hmm. So I definitely came a lot away with a lot of information like, okay, I need to work on some technical skills here. So when thinking about emptying the tank, how do you, how do you know that you've emptied the tank? And what is challenging for you to have to work through to be able to empty the tank? Like what's your biggest nemesis that prevents, apart from... Uh, flat tires and yeah, yeah. like technical stuff like that but like when you're out there grinding like what limits you what makes it hard to be able to truly empty the tank yeah I think I think a number of things and this may be affected me in that race is it is hard when you're in the midst of competition 
to not to still be focusing on your own your own effort level right because i think if things if people are putting it to you and you're kind of getting beat pretty bad it's hard to not let that discouragement creep in and like you kind of throw in the towel right because you just feel you feel bad about how the day is going whereas like i think it's very easy to empty the tank when you're out in the lead yeah like there's so many times at these like local races where i'm way out in the lead i have no problem just pushing hard to the finish yeah it's much harder when somebody's you're either going back and forth with somebody or they're like just kind of beating you really Mm -hmm. really bad um so i think that's its own skill set to like still just put out put out your own effort and again, with cycling, it's, I think it is easier to do because there's always the chance that that person explodes, they have an issue, like you have to stay checked in because things do change, especially on these like longer races that are like five, six hours. Um, the other thing that I think is challenging is pacing, right? Because emptying the tank doesn't necessarily mean you're going to do it in the best way, right? You can empty the tank in the first 20 <laughs> minutes. <laughs> halfway into the race and have an empty tank yeah which i think is actually hard to do to hold yourself back yeah and that's why with my athletes i do like to kind of ask them about perceived effort because i think it's good to realize like what are sustainable effort levels for certain durations and being able to like check in with yourself and make sure you're going at the right prescription because i feel like i oftentimes early in races have to get myself to slow down a little bit knowing that like the last part of that race is going to be ridiculously hard probably mm-hmm. so chad coaches some athletes so you mentioned like with your athletes so you, when you're coaching your athletes and they're heading into a race and you said you mentioned having them check their perceived exertion do you give them as an assignment and say like the first half of this race i don't want your per- perceived exertion above say a seven out of ten or something like that yeah i yeah i mean i think that a lot of times i tend to use more like zones so with cycling, it is nice. It's very easy with, especially if they have a power meter, you can actually give them power prescriptions. And then that's a nice way of just being able to look down at your computer and be like, I'm going too hard, or I'm going too easy. And it's also from training, you can have some confidence. Like I know I can sustain certain numbers. Um, but yeah, so I'll have a tendency to say like your tempo zone or your threshold zone, something along the lines of that. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Um, so one thing that I thought would be really fascinating into, I love talking to people who have in-depth running knowledge. So like running has been kind of like ingrained, you know, you've been in and out of it ever since. So you, when you first finished running, you got into triathlon mm-hmm. and then, then you went more into the cycling space, mm-hmm. but running has been like, you still like did a trail race last year and did super well and picked up prize money. And yeah, so like you still know running super, super well. So I would love to hear your perspective with the amount of knowledge you have in both triathlon and cycling what things do you see that cyclists and triathletes are doing really well that you feel like man if runners could just get this it'd Mm -hmm. be super helpful for them or like things like you're talking about like looking at power meters like power meters are actually something that's coming into the running space so like what things like that do you see from your other sports that you're involved in that you think would be like super helpful for runners yeah yeah i mean that's a very interesting question about like from a training perspective like so like cycling for example like it seems like they do just a ton of threshold stuff or like right below threshold Mm -hmm. riding and stuff correct me if i'm wrong Mm because i'm not a cycling Mm -hmm. coach you know that's not my thing but like does that make you think oh like i wonder if runners spent more time in that kind of like sub max threshold range if they would just build a way bigger engine that way than kind of traditional run training yeah yeah that is interesting and kind of difficult because i do feel like there's a lot of inherent differences between uh, cycling and running that you can't really take some of the same principles and just apply it to running Mm -hmm. because like for instance like a lot of world tour pros will have a period of base training where they might do some intervals but they're just putting a ton of volume and I think that's something you can kind of do running maybe, but I feel like it's going to beat up your legs a lot worse. Mm-hmm. You're not going to get the same effect, right? Whereas like cycling, 
feel like most people when they get injuries it's because they crash there's not a lot there's not nearly as much of overuse injuries right. like especially marathon runners i feel like are always dealing with some something that's right. like on the verge of being an injury or whatnot right. you know so some of those principles i feel like maybe what I see with runners, and there's somewhat of like a personality thing too, is just being like so locked into just running and maybe not incorporating some form of cross training. So I would say that maybe some of that volume and like sub threshold stuff, maybe you could do it on a bike. Maybe you could swim or do something. Like I remember when I was in Oregon, like the big thing was like Galen was spending a bunch of time on the underwater treadmill, uh -huh. right? Uh -huh. So he's adding in volume there, but like trying to limit the impact. Right. So I think that's incredibly useful because it is difficult to do within running. Um, and then, I mean, for me, I think especially with the mountain bike side is like, like you're saying adventure, right? Like having fun doing things that are like not so performance mm -hmm. um, focused, right? So I think a lot of runners spend most of their time doing like very specific stuff that's geared towards performance and probably running like really boring routes, not getting like a lot of stuff that's like aesthetically pleasing. And for me, like I know that like r some road cyclists will like break away from their intervals and go for like soul rides or whatever, right? And there's like, I think there's an inherent like a uh, sense of adventure when you jump on a say road bike and you're like, I'm gonna go ride like 100 or right. 150 miles or right. something a day. Like I'm gonna see some stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's more difficult to get with running. But I think you can, like if you're open to doing like trail stuff, yeah. maybe driving somewhere cool. And I think yeah. you've talked about this or we have some stuff um, talking about this. Um, we're like that's massive i think mm -hmm. keeping like your your spirit engaged and feeling like you're enjoying something outside of yourself right because like for me i feel like what i love is the connection of like i feel like when i feel the most connected with nature is actually when i'm doing something it's like i'm engaging with it in some mm -hmm. capacity mm -hmm. so i'm on a mountain bike ripping through a trail mm -hmm. going super hard on the climbs and then you're just like checked into the descents and it's like i feel like i really know that location now and I know that place and I feel connected with it yeah totally. um so I feel like you know maybe that takes a little bit of creativity but I think if as a runner if you can do that I think it'll keep you refreshed and more engaged with what you're doing totally yeah. love it question building on that so say if you're coaching a runner mm -hmm. and maybe this runner like has a tendency to get hurt when they're increasing their volume how would you integrate cycling or cross training for that matter into their program in an effective way yeah i mean i think kind of like you were saying i think the great thing about cycling is the amount of volume you can do so i'd pretty heavily focus on like aerobic development so a lot of like probably like tempo work is what i think i tend to go towards um and then just progressively building that up until they need to get back like you can't just you're not gonna be a super fast runner just riding right mm -hmm. so at some point you will need to integrate back into the running stuff um so say if they're doing both though would you have them biking some days or doing run in the morning biking in the afternoon how would you have that structured out i think for most people i coach just with time constraints usually it's like alternate days um because I think that you just don't need as much of just the like casual running if you're doing cycling mm -hmm, stuff, right? Mm -hmm. Like I think you could take some just like easy run stuff and you could actually do some work on the bike and recover in like a similar capacity. Mm -hmm. um, but if there's time available, I would say it, it doesn't hurt to have double days mm -hmm. doing that, right? So I would, I think to a certain extent, sometimes cycling, depending on the effort level, can like help loosen up some of the like tightness that you get from running. So I'd maybe do like a run in the morning, mm -hmm. ride in the evening. But if it's quality, I I mean, I think for most people, getting the quality done early is probably preferable right, just right. so you're not thinking about it. Right. Even though I think from a performance standpoint, like maybe afternoon workouts are preferable for right. a lot of people, right? Like you're a little bit better fueled right. and hydrated and right. all that. What's your take on uh, going outside inside? And I'm Speaking specifically for runners here, yeah, who maybe aren't as good. Careful, yeah. Well, also too, like I'm curious. So, like to finish the question, what's your take? Like, 
what's better on a spin bike in a gym mm-hmm. on your trainer at home or like actually out on the roads running because i know like when you're on a spin bike you're working the whole time there's yeah, never that yeah, coasting yeah. phase you know so what's going to be the most effective use of a runner's time if they are going to integrate cycling into their program yeah so i'd say say it's a, a runner who wants to for the first time integrate cycling into their program and it's purely just for like a a running performance standpoint i'd say like jumping on an indoor trainer like whatever you have available is probably the best way to go about it um if you have access to something with a power meter i think that's helpful just because you can really dial in your zones and your power numbers and you can measure progress there um but with it being static i think you can also it you there's other ways of measuring that as well too like speed even at that point is works because everything's exactly the same you're not going up and down hills there's no wind or anything um so yeah i think in terms of fitness i think that like indoor training is great like you're saying you're never coasting you can use your time really efficiently you can hit intervals exactly the way they're prescribed with the rest right you can you know because there's no reason whereas if you're outdoors you now have to be you have to work with the terrain that you have available, right? And so for some people, like if you are somebody who, you know, has ridden bikes in the past and you have decent terrain around you, like maybe you have a hill that you like to climb, then I would say you're probably gonna produce a little bit better numbers outdoor. Hmm. And maybe that's preferable. And I think also like a personality thing, because some of my athletes hate indoor training and I would maybe put myself in that category. Like I don't enjoy getting on the indoor trainer if it's like today, if it's yeah. beautiful outside, I'm yeah. gonna go right outside. Yeah, like, right. I'll take the hit of it not being exactly the right, right prescription. Right. Um, and like I said, feel engaged with like being outside and all that uh, over being on an indoor trainer and hitting my intervals exactly yeah. the way they're prescribed. But I have other people who prefer that. They would rather just jump on their trainer, smash a workout and feel good about it. Right. And, yeah, right. not have to deal with everything else. Yeah. That's interesting. So what would you say to like a runner like myself who if I think about going and riding outside on the roads, road biking, I get like nervous. I'm like, dude, I'm like afraid of falling myself, coming around a corner, hitting some loose dust yeah. and going down or like other cars on the road. And I know you've had your yeah. a couple incidents as well. So what would you say to people who are just like really nervous about going out on the roads? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the first things that I typically talk to people about when I'm starting to coach them is like, what what are your training venues like? like where do you live? Are you mm-hmm. in the city? Are you out in the country somewhere? Um, and I guess it's like, what's your goal here? Like for you, say if you wanted, you're like, okay, I wanna add in cycling to my program. Um, do you want to eventually like go for some cool rides outside? In which case I would say like, let's do some, let's add in some easy riding like in a low stress way mm-hmm. where we'll send you outside, you can take it easy. So like trying to manage that stress level, mm-hmm. right? Because I think if, if you were in that situation and you're like, okay, go outside, do like a threshold workout where now you're having to think about like your power, your speed, what cars are doing. Now your stress is just high and I don't think it's gonna be as effective as right. if I just said, let's jump on the trainer right. and just do it. Um, so I think for most people, that would probably be adequate, right? But if you're wanting to maybe, or maybe you start out that way and then you kind of catch the bug a little bit, you're like, oh, it'd be fun to go like on a cool route outside and you start adding in some easy riding to just get comfortable. Cause you do, I mean, I think everybody's somewhat nervous about various trains when they're first riding outside. You know, maybe like descending is, mm-hmm. is scary. Mm-hmm. Like if you were coming down Snowball, I'm sure you'd be like, a little oh, sketched okay. out at points. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Snowball's a mountain here in Flagstaff. It's a little windy mountain. Yeah, it's, it's a yeah. Windy mountain descent that sometimes has gravel on turns and stuff. Yeah. So yeah, you just get you just get comfortable with various things, just like exposure over yeah. time. Yeah. So I'd say yeah, I would definitely try to minimize the stress level when you're trying to um, gain those skills on the bike, right, and that comfort level. Yeah. So it's like most things, just start slow and build from where you're comfortable at, yeah. it sounds like. But from like a fitness standpoint, you know, if you can jump on a trainer and get it done, I think that's really, for runners, I think that's most of what you would need to do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
So kind of shifting gears a little bit. I mentioned one of the words that, you know, describes you well is suffering mm-hmm. well. You know, like you're into this suffering. So as Lance likes to say, he's the CEO of suffering. But I'm going to give you the title. <laughs> as the CEO of oh, suffering. Man. I don't know if I can take that from Lance. <laughs> well, you're doing yeah, okay. I'm not gonna do we're not going <laughs> to deep dive into a <laughs> yeah, doping. Okay. Yeah. Gonna, um, anyways, how do you suffer well? How have you learned to suffer well? I think a lot of people listening to this podcast are trying to get better at being in the pain cave, whether it's in a race or training, mm-hmm. and emptying the tank like you talked about. Yeah. So how do, how what have been effective strategies? How have you developed the skill for yourself? Yeah, it's interesting because I think there's a lot of things actually go into that. Like, I think it's somewhat of like a, it's somewhat of like a predisposition in terms of like, for one, my skill set is like going up hills pretty fast, right? So I'm kind of required to be able to suffer. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And sometimes I honestly wish I was better at other things because I'm like, I'm still, this is not like as, it's not more enjoyable for me going up this ridiculously hard climb than it is for anybody behind me. But this is my skill set. I'm mm-hmm. good at this. So I have to just kind of put me, put myself in that pain cave. And, you know, I'm essentially trying to put time into people on the climbs yeah. because they're going to take time back on me in like more technical situations. So you're not necessarily doing it for the pure enjoyment of just crushing yourself. Not necessarily. Yeah, I mean, it still hurts. I feel like it's still, it's definitely a weird enjoyment where you're you're happy after the fact, right? But in the middle of it, like there's a, I can think of moments on this climb in Big Bear that's like a, it's a dirt road climb. It gets featured in this race, the Grizzly every year. And it's like an hour long climb. I think it averages like 8% for the whole thing. But a lot of it is like loose, rocky, like 10% grades. And that's where I make the, that's where I win that race every year is I just go as hard as I can on that climb and make a gap that's big enough that I can now rip through the rest of the single track and, and walk away with it. But in the middle of that, like it sucks. Like I'm not having fun at all. You know, like it's, 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 you're not looking forward to it in the race. You're not like, I can't wait to get to this climb and just crush it. I mean, I'm looking forward to it in the case that like if I'm in the right position I know that like this is where I'm going to win the race because there's all these things that can go wrong beforehand like I've flatted one year terribly before it and I like had trouble fixing the flat ceiling all over the place Um, so the stress level kind of reduces getting there because I'm like okay I made it there like I didn't have I didn't crash and have any issues or anything Um, but then too I think that like probably our physiology is just really good at riding that that line of like your threshold right where we're like very aerobically efficient so i think i'm also just good at those long climbs too for that reason so i can i I, i'm pretty good at monitoring that effort level where if i know i go too hard i'm going to explode but i can just ride that line for Mm -hmm. a long period of time Mm -hmm. so i i think my willingness to suffer for a long time is is maybe what is is like a, a quality that i have yeah it sounds like you're able to just manage the pain cave like you know that yes i'm going to suffer but i'm not going to cause myself to pop exactly yeah because i think a lot of people if you view yourself as and i think there's something that maybe i didn't always think of myself this way where i realized like okay i think i am actually good at suffering um and then you have the confidence to like manage that effort level right. That you're like, okay, I've done this enough. And again, it's like exposure, right? If you've done it a ton of times, you know how to manage that effort level, what it feels like, when maybe you can start to push over your threshold near the end, so you time it right. Whereas I feel like sometimes a lack of confidence, you're like, you maybe push too hard, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And then it's like you explode because you push too hard, not because you're you're bad at suffering or you're not tough right you just went too hard you just went over your threshold like that's a physiology thing right Right. and i think you can really negatively impact your mindset if you attribute something it's like just a purely physiology thing to your toughness like you're just really hard on yourself like man like everyone else was just like able to 
smash me because I'm not mentally tough. It's like, no, you just were riding way over your head or running way over your head. Yeah. Um, I think that's important to distinguish to make. And that's where like numbers and data can really help. Right. Yeah. Right. That's something that cycling kind of has going for it. Whereas a runner who's going up mile 20 at Boston, they're just going purely based off feel, yeah. not based off of any number data. So yeah. they always feel like I should be able to go faster. I should be able to go harder. I should yeah. be able to push myself. There's not a machine telling them, no, like you're right on the edge right now. Yeah, yeah. There's nothing being like, oh, yeah, you're really anaerobic and you're like being flooded with lactate. Right. Yeah. Although heart rate is a data point that can be super helpful in which I like to use with my athletes who, if they do have a tendency to push too hard, mm-hmm. to go off of heart rate that way it holds them back yeah. and it is telling them like hey like my heart rate is 170 right now like i if i push any harder i'm gonna go over that line that we're yeah. talking about and pop it's the interesting thing about like the pain cave being a place that people aren't successful in simply sometimes because they're trying too hard yeah yeah and i think it's yeah it's like almost by nature being hard on yourself you're like i need to go faster like i should be able to suffer more than yeah. this and it's like you need to be able to suffer at the end at the appropriate time. I think a lot of people probably get in that place too quickly because it builds fast, right? Like it's amazing. I feel like especially long events that have ended horribly. Like I just did another ride where it was really rough at the end. And then you look back to the beginning, you're like, man, it felt easier, but or it felt easy. It probably should have felt even easier than that. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of, I'm always looking back thinking like, I still pace that too hard, even though I thought I was being conservative. Right. Yeah. I think it's so important for runners to like know their lines. I think that's kind of a big takeaway from our talk today, you know, is like know your lines and don't go beyond them. And when you do, don't attribute it to mental mental weakness. Yeah. Yeah. I think the other thing with that, and I think by nature of cycling, you race a lot more. So I've also stopped like testing myself so much within training. So I'm not so hard on myself of being like, I need to go thrash myself and being really critical if on the day I maybe just don't have the motivation to like go smash myself and go 100%. Maybe that's not even ideal for training anyways. Um, but like gaining some confidence that like you, when you're racing you're gonna have some like added excitement granted like this is a weird year you're like you were talking about sarah's race just like there's no crowd there's no like energy around Mm -hmm, it right mm -hmm. but typically i think just by nature of like there being other people doing what you're doing the competitive aspect you probably tapered there's a whole lot of reasons why you should have some like extra energy and motivation on race day that you're not going to have in training Mm -hmm. and i think so often i would test myself in training like to build confidence like i'm ready to go for the race rather than just letting the race be the race right like like let the race prove the point of your fitness don't try to go out and prove it to yourself beforehand like you might make yourself massively tired in that process (laughs) or you might just feel like discouraged by it because you couldn't right but it's like in the in the structure of like a training block, you're being carrying more fatigue you're by yourself you're like just in your normal daily routine like don't make yourself have a race performance on your daily basis. Like yeah. you're setting yourself up to be disappointed. And again, like confidence is huge. Like don't, don't do things that are going to make your confidence or going to damage your confidence before you even get to the race. Yeah. Yeah. Protecting your confidence. I think is not only like, uh, what the athlete needs to do, but what the coach needs to do as Definitely. well. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. like prescribing the right training. And man, that's certainly not, I've screwed that one up before where I've just prescribed too hard, you know, whether it's splits that Sarah's trying to hit or um, workouts that are just too challenging, you know, like coaches aren't perfect, but I think a coach's role is to set up an athlete to be successful. Yeah. And that's tough because I, I do kind of feel like if I'm giving somebody a really challenging workout, because I think you, as a coach, you either you either set up a program that you know is very achievable, right? If you're trying to kind of build their confidence a little bit if they've been struggling. And then when they're ready to go, you kind of give them some more challenging stuff. Uh, like whether you say beforehand, like this is a really challenging workout. Like if, if you don't complete right. it, like that's okay. Because right. you kind of, in some ways I don't want to say that. I just right. want them to go in thinking, 
I should be able to do this workout. Yeah, like, yeah. he's prescribing this because he thinks I'm capable yeah. of it. And then after the fact, maybe being like, yeah, that was a challenging workout. Like, I know you <laughs> failed, but don't count that as a failure. Right. Like, I was really pushing your limits right. on that one. Which I feel like I'm kind of being semi-deceptive. But really, it's just I don't want them to have that out in their mind necessarily. Right. Um, and that's another, like, so much of coaching is, like, knowing your athlete's personality and what, what how they operate, what's going to best benefit them. All right, guys, thank you so much for listening. I'm going to cut this one off here, and actually we're going to come back to this conversation because I really want you guys to hear part two of my interview with Chad. We get into nutrition and alcohol and sports and, uh, and give you our take on that, which I actually learned some things on. So excited to share part two with you guys. Tune in next week. All right, guys, till then, happy training.